0: From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox Talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Sox Machine Live. I am Josh Nelson, alongside Jim Margulis, the managing editor of SoxMachine.com, as we bring you a new episode on Cinco de Mayo 2022, March 5th. And Jim, let's start there, man. How did you celebrate Cinco de Mayo today? Oh, uh, by
2: managing contractors. Uh, we have a backyard job going on. So basically I've, <laughs> I've been housebound the entire week, uh, getting blocked in by trucks. So uh, yeah, every day has been largely the same. So actually we got some overnight rain coming. So I actually get a little bit of freedom on Friday. So that'll be Nice. Nice.
1: You know, we used to talk about home remodeling when the White Sox were terrible. Oh, yeah, I have <laughs> a lot to talk about now, but unfortunately, <laughs> they're good. I know. We're good enough, I, know. I, I
2: should say. 11-13, <laughs> not quite good actively, but should yeah, be good.
1: A lot better. A lot better. We're not the, that uh, desperate. Yeah, the, than the home remodeling talks that we had. As a matter of fact, I have my first home contractor experience coming this weekend in this very room. So I'm so excited. To enjoy what you have been enjoying, Jim. Yes, but, but at least did you get some tacos today? I did not. Okay. Pasta, actually. I have it all wrong. You do. You really do. My tacos were delicious, and for everybody that's watching the live stream, I hope you had an opportunity to get some tacos, maybe some margaritas to uh, to celebrate uh, Cinco de Mayo. That has nothing to do with the Me- Mexican uh, Mexico's Independence Day. That is in September. Uh, So I'm still not quite sure why we celebrate Cinco de Mayo as hard as we do. But happy Cinco de Mayo to everyone. And the vibes are good for the Chicago White Sox. They have won three straight games. They swept at Wrigley Field, winning both games against the Chicago Cubs. They won game one, three to one, in a very cold, misty evening. They won game two, four to three, after they were down three to one after the second inning. As Lucas Giolito gave up a couple home runs. Good for the White Sox offense to chip away get the lead and we'll talk about the white Sox bullpen in a moment and how big that they were uh, helping deliver that victory and the sweep And the white Sox get to keep the crosstown cup uh, because they ho- own the tiebreaker for winning the cup last year. So there you go, Jim, the white Sox, the crosstown cup champions in 2022. And I, I want to bring this tweet up because I, I mentioned this during the athletic, they were, Doing their very best, and you know, tip of the cap to John Greenberg and James Feigen and trying to hype up this series between the White Sox and Cubs. And in their series prediction, Feigen wrote, "Kopech and Gilito have been great, so the White Sox should sweep this." And we could talk about how everything is great and they're back on track while they score like seven runs for the series. Uh, Jim, uh, James called it: The, Mm -hmm. the White Sox only scored seven runs in the series. So how did they sweep the Cubs? Basically, that kind of outline. And
2: also, you know, with the weather the way it was, basically, it it was not it's like Arctic conditions, but like on the coastline. So it's above freezing, but there's a cold, damp wind, uh, rain blowing about and in those conditions like you know it's it's a case where yeah you're tired about complaining about the weather and saying that you know the white Sox should be able to score more than four runs with some regularity no matter how cold it is but watching the conditions on tv seeing how miserable everybody was it was just more of a matter of get a win however you can in this case the white Sox, you know they have more talent than the cubs i don't think we're uh, breaking any new ground there especially the pitching matchups um your kopech was good enough i think he could have been better he would have said he would have been better Yeah, you know, just the inefficiency um you know shortened his start a little bit but he was fine like and it basically like you can write off every individual performance and as long as the talent adds up to a win that's good enough for these conditions it should be warming up next week to be normal to be not howling cold winds blowing in or blowing to one specific corner like tim anderson was able to poke an opposite field right field uh you know Homer and and get a little bit of carry on it because the wind happened to be channeling out that way, uh, and, and managing to crack the code for one brief at bat. But hopefully next week we're not talking about this anymore. And if the White Sox score you know fewer than four runs yeah uh, seven consecutive games then we can we can really light into them. But for now I think it's right to be forgiving.
1: Yeah, the weather in Chicago looks like it's going to be 75 degrees on Monday. It's got a chance on Tuesday and Wednesday in those games against Cleveland to reach 90 degrees in Chicago, as it will get very humid next week. And hopefully, I mean, we've been talking about it for weeks now. Once the weather warms up, Jim, the offense will get better. Once that happens. Well, I mm-hmm. think we're going to see it next week. It's just against two teams in Cleveland and the New York Yankees that are very good, at least in recent history, shutting down the White Sox offense, unless they're playing in Iowa. Uh, yeah, <laughs> in the White Sox Yankees case with the with the uh, special
2: with the special baseballs meant for TV. I think.
1: Yeah, let's talk about one of the unsung heroes that's now getting some attention after these two games at Wrigley, and uh let's talk about Matt Foster, high leverage reliever. uh yes. Jim, was I asleep at the wheel? When did this happen?
2: I don't know. I I think it's a matter of you know. Uh, Aaron Bummer being out, and the White Sox looking for some creative solutions, or I shouldn't say out, but off, and uh, White Sox looking for creative solutions around a, a lack of real left-handed depth, and it's funny, I'm not sure if this happens to you, but when it comes to eight and nine-man bullpens, uh, if I had to, like, recite the entire list in 15 seconds, I would get stuck one-man short. Like, it would take me, I would eventually come up with a name, but, like, I would I would hit a wall for... 10 seconds. And, and this year, Kyle Crick was the guy just whenever I saw him, like, you know, warming up in the bullpen or coming in like, Oh yeah, he's here no matter how many times he pitched. It was just, uh, he never, I mean like partial. that, that was partially his fault. He never did Mm -hmm. anything well enough during his brief stay to, you know, make me remember him. He was always low leverage or not somebody you really got you fired up to see or thought like, Hey, great move. Or Hey, great, bad move. It was just a matter of like, well, game's out of hand. Here's Kyle Crick. So he was that guy last year. It was Matt Foster. And I think even Tony LaRusa, for long stretches of time, forgot that he had Matt Foster in the bullpen. So (laughs) it is surprising. Like there was no, like with Jose Ruiz, you could see that like gradual um you know just kind of like the 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 boiling frog test like let's see let's turn it up one degree see if he uh responds well let's turn it up one degree let's see if he responds well and then like he's had a little bit of a rough patch here so so a little bit of jose ruiz apprehension sinks in um but in this case like foster did not get that kind of gradual leverage test like before he was a mop-up guy and uh sometimes you would be trusted with like a four-run lead or something like that. Mostly. Unimportant situations where they needed two winnings, he was the guy. So to see him go from nothing to hey, good outing. Now here's Aaron Bummer's typical role. <laughs> now here's Aaron Bummer creating trouble for you in a one run game in Wrigley Field, Nathan in and go get him. Like that's surprising. Um, it's welcome. And I and I think you know it, it's it's great that he's been able to figure out a a different wrinkle. I think he's been fastball change for like a lot of his ascension. Mm-hmm. Then he ran out of that trick and the slider wasn't good. So it seems like he's come back with a sharpened slider and, and enough to make the scouting reports have to be updated. So now the changeup you know, looks a little bit novel. Now looks like a little bit, uh, uh you, know, you know, he's no longer fastball changeup. So when you see the changeup, it's not the one pitch they were looking for. So it seems like that's kind of what he's going on right now. Uh, if he keeps this up, I'll you know, probably look at it a little bit deeper, like, we talk about Jose Ruiz being maybe that guy. And I wanted to see what scouting reports look like when they accounted for the changeup. And he's hit a little bit of a rough patch. He you know, like, you know, not bad, but also not the force that he was early in the, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the, the first few weeks of the season. So I'm I'm waiting for Matt Foster a little bit too, to see if, you know, now these pitching important situations, that the, you know a, you know, bench coach or whoever is providing the Intel report for, you know, hitters on the bench, you know, they'd say, Oh, this is, this Is Matt Foster's music? You know, it's like just Kendall Graveman and and uh you know and Aaron Bummer and Liam Hendricks. Like, no, now Foster's coming in for these situations. We need to be apprised as to what he's doing. Uh yeah. I guess next week will be a good test with uh uh the Guardians and the Yankees. It you know, guardians have seen a lot, Yankees haven't, but Yankees will be fully uh accounting for the update scouting report. Shouldn't it be interesting if he gets a uh a, you know any kind of situation, but specifically like you know, one of those high leverage
1: situations that he hadn't seen in quite some time. So we got this question from our YouTube chat. So for those that are listening to the podcast feed, if you get an opportunity, we are live streaming on our YouTube page at youtube.com slash socks machine. We're able to address comments and questions in the YouTube chat. So if you get an opportunity to watch the live stream, you could participate Sean posted this comment, Jim, that Kendall Graveman should have been pitching that second inning instead of Aaron Bummer starting the eighth inning, mm-hmm. especially after throwing six pitches in that previous inning. That is a in-game situation. We haven't really talked through an in-game situation in a while. Did you like the fact that after just that few pitches that Larusa did not extend Graveman another inning?
2: Yeah, it's. It it seems like he's backed off of Kendall Graven a little bit after pushing him hard early. So I don't know if it's more of a, a managing thing. I also don't, you know, specific to that game. I don't know if it was a conditions thing. Like he benched Luis Robert for that game because, you know, Robert had played a number of consecutive games and being cold and wet just did not want to push anybody with, you know, potentially problematic legs into having to run hard or stop hard on that turf and, and, and perhaps with cold weather. So I'm not sure, you know, it could be a case where, you know, managers typically when they're called like players managers and even Larusa is not like a typical players manager, like they're a you know, player's best friend. But when they say like, he's good at managing a clubhouse or good at managing veterans, what have you, he generally makes the expectations clear before the game. So he says like, we're only going to use you for one today, or you're getting the entire game off or mm-hmm. you're getting, you're, 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 sitting, but we might use you in a late game situation. Like I, I think, you know, when he says that, we're saving Liam Hendricks for a save situation. I think, you know, people said, you roll with their eyes and said, you know, we don't, yeah you know, the extra innings, there is no save situation in extra innings. I think it's more of a matter of like, Hendricks' back is hurting him. So in this case, you know, if there isn't a safe situation, we're not even going to bother getting him loose. You know, we just don't want him to be on guard all game and have him, you know, getting loose for a three inning stretch when we're only using him for one specific situation. So I think, you know, in this case, with the weather being the way it was and being maybe the least playable, playable conditions the White Sox have had uh, in quite some time perhaps he just, you know, had the bullpen on order saying, we're only doing you one inning. We're not going to have you sit down and get back up and stay warm in these conditions. Uh, We're just going to, you know, once you're done, you're done. And that might've been a case here where even if Graveman had an an inning that was clean and under normal 60 degree circumstances where there is no, you know, just driving rain and wind, perhaps he goes back out there, but maybe uh, pitchers were under orders for these conditions to not have to get warmed up again, once they get cold because
1: they might be getting really cold in that dugout. So I want to go back to Matt Foster here, and I'm going to just read out some things that I found from Baseball Savant that I thought were pretty interesting as far as Foster from 2021 to 2022. So his four-seam fastball, he threw that pitch 63.5% of the time, by far and away the most used pitch by Matt Foster. In 2022, that has dropped considerably, just down to 46.6%. His slider usage in 2021 was 10.6%. That has increased in 2022 to 25.1%. So he's throwing that pitch a quarter of the time. And we're seeing fewer changeups from Foster 22.5% in 2021, down to 13.6%. Here's what's fascinating to me, Jim. Looking at the slider, opposing hitters are four for nine against the slider. They've only struck out once against Matt Foster in the slider. The whiff rate is 26.9%. The changeup, the whiff rate is 0%. And opposing hitters are two for four when they put the ball in play off of Matt Foster changeup. His fastball, opposing hitters are hitting .042. They are one for 24 against his fastball. They have struck out nine times on that pitch and they have a 29.8% whiff rate. So is this a philosophy and pitching of less is more that if you throw your fastball at a lower percentage than last year, and you increase the percentage of sliders that you're throwing at hitters, the increase in sliders is going to make your fastball better I think so. Like when you look at his usage in previous years, like first
2: pitches, his fastball usage was over 60% both in 2020 and 2021. Now it's below 40%. Yeah, that's so pretty, that is
1: pretty that is pretty predictable. When you're above 60%, you can go in the batter's box and you know, I'm getting a fastball.
2: Yeah. So I think in this case, like he's just pitching backwards now. So he's, his fastball is his best pitch. If he doesn't have to show it till later, that's to his advantage. So that's the case where, you know, the if they can anticipate the slider or the changeup, you know, they're his weaker pitches. So hitters are happy to see him if they know they're coming. But if he's pitching, if he's reversing the scouting report right now and saying like, oh, he usually sets up everybody at the fastball and then goes to the change. In this case, now he's going to the slider early or the, uh, the, the changeup early just to grab a strike and get me over. And then all of a sudden anything goes and the fastball is a little bit more novel. The other thing I thought with Foster was, um, You're know, watching Reynaldo Lopez pitch, and and you know being used in a variety of situations, mm-hmm. and thinking like, well, if you know, like say the the, the Wilson Contreras drive to center that uh, Luis Robert flagged down in the warning track, you know, in previous years, his inability to get grounders and and you know being fly ball uh, prone and having you know to kind of cross his fingers on some well struck balls that they'd see in the park. In this year, this could be a good year to be a fly ball pitcher. And Foster has been that guy in the past. Like, his ground ball rate's been below 30%. He uses that high fastball. Right now, in the the small sample he's got, his ground ball rate's actually 50%. He's actually keeping the ball on the ground. That could be another byproduct of the uh, different pitch mix going on. But when it comes to the fastball, like, if they do figure out the fastball, perhaps this situation where, like, you know, he reverts back to, you know, fly balls being, like, 50% of the time and line drives being 30%, like, that could be okay in this situation, you know. Maybe not so much when the weather gets ninety percent the wind and uh, ninety degrees and humidity's at sixty percent and the winds blowing out. But in cases where like the ball still isn't traveling, you know, perhaps Foster isn't penalized for being the guy he was before. And even when hitters realize like, oh, uh, fa- first pitch fastballs aren't a thing, later in the count fastballs are a thing. Perhaps he won't be punished to the extent that he was last year.
1: Yeah, because when he got it, it was Ian Happ that big strikeout on the eighth inning in game two, I think Hap was looking changeup because Foster threw a couple changeups before up in the zone, very much like Lucas Giolito likes to throw his changeups, especially against lefties. And Hat was following them off and Foster froze him. It was a perfect fastball. It was a fantastic pitch right there in the lower part of the strike zone. And it's Mm -hmm. funny, Cubs hitters, they watched a lot of strike three. In this series, I don't it's like it's a whole team thing, Jim. They either don't trust the lower part of the strike zone or they do not have an idea of what the lower part of the strike zone was. The White Sox pitchers really took advantage against Cubs hitters in that lower half. So hopefully this continues for Matt Foster. I think in the very new near future, these type of situations are gonna go to Joe Kelly. But until Kelly arrives in Chicago and starts pitching out of the White Sox bullpen, I guess we're going to see Matt Foster in these situations. And right now, he's delivering. Good for him. Yes, good for you, Matt Foster, bouncing back from 2021. He was excellent. He was one of the dependable guys in 2020, if you remember that. He Mm -hmm. and Cody Hoyer, if it wasn't for those two, man, I don't know if the White Sox make it to the the postseason with that bullpen and uh, all the injuries and out of shape that they were in. Uh, also, Evan Marshall, uh, we had a comment from one of our good friends, Beef Loaf, that he misses Evan Marshall throwing 80% off-speed stuff. I also miss watching Evan Marshall pitch, and we'll see if he's Friend still the with podcast. the White Sox. Uh, yeah, see, see if he's still with the White Sox in uh, 2023. All right, so that's, that's good news is uh, Matt Foster. Let's talk about some bad news or something that is intriguing me, and that's back to the White Sox offense, and that is A.J. Pollock. I'm an A.J. Pollock stand. I was ecstatic that the White Sox acquired A.J. Pollock. I like his game. I thought he was a great fit. And I really loved it, Jim, when he went four for seven in the first few games of the season for the Chicago White Sox. Since the opening weekend, A.J. Pollock is four for 35. He's got nine strikeouts to one walk. Mm -hmm. And I I think there's a lot. uh, Maybe there's not a lot. I think there's one big pressing issue for AJ Pollock right now. And and I know James vegan of the athletic has tweeted about this and has mentioned it, that timing just seems to be off for AJ Pollock. Do you agree with that, Jim? Do you think it's just a timing issue right now? Or is there anything else that you're seeing from Pollock that we should be a little bit more concerned about his struggles at the plate?
2: No, that's that's what I think it is. And I was surprised when he went to the injured list. Well, I wasn't surprised. I'm not surprised that AJ Pollock went to the injured list. I'm surprised that he (laughs) came back without a rehab stint. You would think like after just, you know, one and a half games and then being out for 11 or 12 days that you would think, you know, just that's not enough time to get a groove. It's not like Luis Robert, who was in the lineup for, you know, a week or so and then like missed five, six days, but was still like active and, and and around and then like comes back and tests and pass an immediate test. Like Pollock, you know, he looks like his timing's off and I'm watching, you know, you want go through his rehab stint right now in, in Charlotte and he's had some good games. He's had some bad games uh, or just unimpressive games. You know, no real clunkers, but just, you know, mm-hmm. you'd expect a guy like him to dominate Charlotte, but he's still getting his timing back. And I thought Pollock would get the same thing just because he had an interrupted spring training with the trade. Everybody had a short spring training and just two games in, you get hurt. You know, why not spend a few days down in, uh, you know, with the Knights to get some, uh, you know, get some at bats in in low pressure situations, especially when he said like he's, he was like 80 to 85%. Like he was really specific about like how not quite a hundred percent he was and he'd figure he'd pick it up as he goes along. So I don't quite, uh, You know, it doesn't surprise me that his timing's off. I'm just surprised the way they handled it, given that he could very well get hurt again. You'd think they'd be more cautious. But I think right now we're just seeing a live rehab stint against, you know, really good pitching, you know, major league pitching. And it's uh, taken him a while to just barrel it up or get the barrel where he wants to in the zone. Like his hardest contact is mostly into the ground getting jammed a lot. He's pulling like, you know, hanging pitches. He's pulling into the the, uh, the left field uh, foul territory seats. And uh, when he gets a fastball, he's behind. So I think he's just right now trying to figure out how to get the barrel in the right place.
1: Yeah, I agree with the timing. And I'm glad you mentioned the fastballs because you know how much I love when hitters hit ground balls. Uh, <laughs> love it. Yep. But Going to baseball savant, looking at AJ Pollock season so far, and I'm, br- and I'm bringing up a graph, the swing and miss rate by season for AJ Pollock for his entire career. So for those that are listening to the podcast feed, I'll talk through the graph here. And as far as swings and miss, so it doesn't matter if it's in the strike zone or not. If AJ Pollock swings at a fastball that is registered in the Statcast data, so far in 2022, A.J. Pollock is swinging and missing on 32.6% of the fastballs being thrown at him. So almost one out of three fastballs you throw at A.J. Pollock, he's whiffing on. That is a 15.6% increase from last year. And in the next graph, I have the chase rate. So these are pitches out of the strike zone that a hitter is swinging at, and they consider that chase percentage for the hitter. And in the graph, it is big jumps in both off-speed pitches and fastballs. Right now, A.J. Pollock is chasing fastballs out of the strike zone at a 37.5% clip. That's a 10% increase from last year. The off-speed pitches, change He is chasing that pitch 50% of the time out of the strike zone, which is a 15% increase from last year. I bring these points up, Jim, because I agree on the timing and specifically back to the bases loaded situation late in game two with one out on a 2-0 pitch, Pollock had a fastball that he could do some damage on, that he could drive at least to the outfield and get a sacrifice fly and make it a 5-3 game for the White Sox. Instead, he fouled that pitch off. And I think that's a good example of the timing situation. But there are other plate appearances where – I'm wondering if he's also pressing Mm -hmm. a little bit, trying to impress his new team that he can deliver in these big situations, which is odd to me because you just came from the Los Angeles Dodgers and it looked like you played relaxed and no pressure at all. And that is a team that is definitely world series or bust. So it's a little bit surprising to me that he may be pressing here, but when you look at the swing and miss rate and you look at even the chase rate, I I wonder if there's just two factors here. One, his timing's off. And two, he's just trying to do too much at the plate. I don't know how you help with point number two, Jim, other than just hopefully that the timing comes back. So he doesn't have to chase so much because the first fastball that he sees in the strike zone, he's not whiffing on he's driving it.
2: Yeah. Just like inject him with a downer or something like that to get him to calm down. (laughs) But when it comes to, uh, (laughs) <laughs> like I'm looking at a Statcast page, and like you look at his run value, and last year he smoked fastballs, and was really good yeah. on like you know uh, you know sinkers, fastballs generally covered like a little bit of weakness on on changeups, and you know other years, yeah, you know, you know, like fastball uh, performance has been pretty stable throughout his career, and just uh, different you know whether it's the quality of pitchers throwing certain pitches can tie him up or uh yeah the the secondary stuff kind of comes and goes but this year the run value is negative on basically every pitch he's seen more than 10 times so I think it's just you know he's not really I don't think it's a bat seed thing because normally you see that you know, materialize of like uh, oh he's better at sliders or he's better at change-ups like he's compensating with other pitches uh and and fastballs is where they're really getting them I think it's just more of a matter of yeah just bad pitch selection. And then when he has, he has good pitch selection. He's just either trying to cover three pitches at once or uh, yeah. it, it seems like he's just trying to get a hit uh, or you know, maybe, maybe uh, like the one hit that unlocks everything for him and every pitch looks great at it. And, and it resembles me playing MLB the show. Like I, you know, my, my walk rate is pitiful playing uh, road to the show, just because like, eh, I don't, you know, I can't tell low change-ups from low fastballs. Like it's, it's, you know, <laughs> if, if they threw me like low change-ups the entire game, like I'd probably strike out, uh, you know, 60% of the time. But in this case, like kind of resembles the same thing. Like, eh, I'll get it back if I swing it, chase this pitch out of the zone, because eventually they'll feed me a mistake. But right now uh, those mistakes are
1: not, uh, he's not capitalizing on those either. So we mentioned AJ Pollock. We did get this comment in the YouTube channel for, from Benjamin and Benjamin wrote to us, Jim uh, speaking of disappointments. I hope that Josh Harrison may have turned something around in the angel series. He looked lost at the plate again. What does it take for Yobert Sanchez to get a call up? Yeah. Like I said, with the, you know,
2: the conditions at Wrigley field, that's a case where just a wins a win. And if people look bad, so be it. Um, <laughs> it's uh, and, and they came away at the sweep. So like I, I kind of suspend, Independent judgment on players for two games in those conditions. I think this week, I think will be a, you know, a- a good week in a, a stable week when it comes to just uh, playable conditions like Jose Abreu, this should be a big week for him in terms of like where he's at as a hitter and what he's doing with his uh, batted ball angles and whether he's just uh in a ground ball rut or really out of it. Same thing like Harrison, Larry Garcia, other guys who've been struggling. Gavin sheets is another one. I think we'll get a nice little bit of run here with uh, Andrew Vaughn out to kind of understand how his timing is and whether he has to settle for those singles through the shift or whether he can actually start turning on, on pitches and getting some reward for his fly ball. So this, this, you know, like stretch with Harrison looking rough and batting, you know, above and below 100, I think can't go on for too much longer, but I think, you know, the, Having a nice weekend series against the Angels is more important than what happened in these two games at Wrigley. And now, you know, with this off day and now coming back to better weather, I think this should be a case where now you can start looking at guys a little bit more closely and expecting a little bit more.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
1: The White Sox are 11 and 13, (laughs) and they could be getting help coming in the near future. Yohan Makata and Joe Kelly could be joining the White Sox as early as next week. But the White Sox now head to Boston as they have a three-game series against the Boston Red Sox. And this Red Sox team, I know the White Sox have struggled to start the season, and it's good that we are now watching them put some wins together. They have won three straight games. The Red Sox seem to be in disarray mm-hmm. and they had a very tough series at home against the Angels. Unlike the White Sox, the Red Sox could not take care of business against Los Angeles. And when you look at the White Sox, and, you know, for example, the White Sox offense, they have a 6% walk rate. That's the worst in Major League Baseball. Boston's got the second worst walk rate uh, in baseball, which is really uh, surprising. It is very surprising because if you look at their lineup, I don't think they have as many injuries as the White Sox do right now. They're just underperforming. The bullpen is a mess. The starting pitching has been pretty good for them, and the White Sox will see two of their better starting pitchers this weekend. It's going to be a very interesting series, and we're going to preview that series now as we take a look at the pitching problems for the Chicago White Sox. Friday, May 6th, this is a 6.10 p.m. Central Time game. This is the Apple TV game. So you'll need to be able – the only way you can watch this game is through Apple TV. So if you have a smart TV or you already have an Apple TV, if you watch Ted Lasso, sign in with that account and watch the White Sox-Red Sox game. If you watch Ted Lasso and forgot to cancel afterwards. Exactly. Vince Velasquez will be making that start for the White Sox. On Saturday, May 7th, this is a 3.10 p.m. Central Time game. Technically, these are to be announced if you go to the Pitching Probable uh, as far as website. However, we are thinking it's going to be Dallas Kaikul for the White Sox. That's a 3.10 p.m. Central Time start. That game is back on NBC Sports Chicago. And uh, get grab some brunch on Sunday, on Mother's Day, Because the White Sox and Red Sox are playing at 10.35 in the morning on Sunday. And this is going to be on the Peacock app. So another app that you will need to have on your smart TV or on your phone or tablet if you are watching while having brunch with the mothers in your life. And again, that's going to be at 10.35 a.m. Central Time. Jason Benetti will be broadcasting the games on Sundays on the Peacock app. Uh, so he'll be broadcasting the White Sox game. Steve Stone and old friend Kevin Youkilis will be calling the game on Sunday. Uh, as You gets to share his time with the White Sox playing at Fenway, and uh, of course, all those years with the Boston Red Sox. For the Boston Red Sox, their probable pitchers are looking like Nathan Iovaldi on Friday, Nick Pavetta on Saturday, and Michael Wacha on Sunday. Iovaldi's been very good for the Boston Red Sox to start the season. He is 1-0 with a 2.51 ERA with 32 strikeouts. Michael Waka has been very good for the Boston Red Sox. He's 3-0 with a 1.38 ERA and 19 strikeouts. Nick Pavetta is on my fantasy baseball team, so I can tell you firsthand how terrible he has been uh, this season. He is 0-4 with an ERA above 7. So what a wonderful pitching matchup we've got on Saturday. If you love high-scoring games, we may see it with Dallas Keuchel and Nick Pavetta on the mound facing one another. And that's where I want to start as far as with this series preview, because there's going to be a lot of attention on that Saturday start for Dallas Keuchel. We talked about it at length on Monday, Sox Machine Podcast, Jim, on how much longer does Dallas Keuchel have? Mm-hmm. What do you need to see from Keuchel in this start against Boston to give you confidence or maybe looking at it from a White Sox front office you know, lens? To give you confidence that, you know what, he needs another start against the New York Yankees next week?
2: Probably some combination of five innings and 60% strikes uh, would be the easiest way to uh, simplify it. Like, I don't think, I'm not expecting like shutdown baseball from Dallas Keichel to save his job. Like, Vince Velasquez did that. I don't think Keuchel's going to do that, or I, I wouldn't expect it. Um, but that's not really his job. His role in this rotation you know, right now, it's I would consider his job is crossing days off a calendar. So feeling like five innings didn't, uh, you know, didn't completely demoralize the team. Didn't ruin the bullpen. Uh, hopefully the offense provides some support to give him a chance, and where they're still in it or have the lead but when he leaves the game. And that's really all that I'm expecting or all that I think anybody should expect. Um, the problem is like he's dug those early holes. He's had those long innings. Um, he hasn't had a Keuchel like starts either where he um, puts the ball in play and he lets hitters beat him. I think the, the the game against uh, Cleveland where he gave up 10 runs in the inning plus and he had all four errors behind him. That might've, you know, I'm not sure if that's shell shock or something like that to where all of a sudden I have to do this all myself and all, you know, he's the pitcher least equipped to do that. But if he's going to look like himself or if he can look like himself and still get outs uh, I imagine be some combination of five innings and 60% strike, something like that. Like he's been hovering around 50% uh, the last two times. And that's just not a way, you know, they're not competitive. Like the, the, the way he's missing well off the plate, well below the plate, well inside to righties on those cutters, like they're, they're easy to takes. And I think that's uh, a situation where, that's not his style. That's not his game. He can't really pitch outside his game. Um, uh, the one thing I should mention, you mentioned that it's uh Sunday's game is on Peacock. This one's also an NBC, uh, just the NBC network, like actual NBC oh. five in Chicago. Like it's not going to be, it's kind of like the way Apple TV was, uh, free for the first game. If you signed up, mm-hmm. um, but in, you know, then it won't be. And I think it's kind of the same thing. This is, this is Rob Manfred's America this weekend, uh, three games on three different, uh, <laughs> platforms all of which you have to pay separate charges for uh although maybe if you have Xfinity you get Peacock for free I'm not sure but <laughs> either way like just punishing cord cutters I think is is what what's going on here uh yeah uh but yeah Keichel you know sum it up I think if he does that they're not going to cut them just because there is nobody behind Johnny Cueto. Like the, the pitching options are really thin and Cueto himself might not be a solution. So I think they want to keep all hands on deck as much as possible.
1: For the White Sox offense, I mentioned the three righties that they're going to see and Eovaldi and Waka have been very good. I think I'm in the mindset and I know that we're hyping up next week and I really hope the White Sox score some runs because With the weather change, we're running out of excuses for them to not be performing at the level that they should be performing at. But Eovaldi and Waka have been pitching very well. Is this going to be another low-scoring weekend for the White Sox offense, Jim?
2: I mean, you'd say yes, just because the way they've hit right-handed pitching and yeah, just anybody who's anybody who been, has been shutting the White Sox down from that side. And it's not going to be a particularly balmy weekend relative to Chicago uh will be. I think it's going to be in the low 50s in Boston. But, you know, Woo-hoo. not, yeah, <laughs> like, a, <laughs> you know, eight degrees where the ball is going to be flying out. So their work's going to be cut out for them. But uh I, I think just it's going to be similar to, I think, the Cubs series, just without the extreme weather. But in the sense that you have two offenses who are both – uh mirror images a little bit like there's an, there's an article in the athletic and it's talking about by the numbers how ugly though the red sox offense has been and i was mm-hmm. wa- i was reading it just saying like the, the first sentence of each number applies to the white sox basically like number of times since april 15th the red sox have scored more than four runs per game where yeah you know, they, they rank in the bottom third in offense they you know they cost themselves a run with the, you know poor base running and that shouldn't they can't afford to do that they have seven players the ops is below 600 uh, you know, just, you know, they're going on and on and just uh, the only thing, you know, basically about eight numbers in uh, the, the Red Sox have a, a low uh, expected WOBA. Uh, so they're a case where unlike the White Sox, who have been hitting the ball hard. And, and when they do, they're not getting rewarded. Uh, the Red Sox do not have that going for them. So that's like the one case where there is a split to where, you know, the White Sox don't have all these problems. So it could be a case where. You know, they're looking at the uh, White Sox pitching matches and saying like, oh, I don't know about Cease. Like we have no chance. Like we're looking at evolve right. they're looking at Cease. Could be a case where they say like, oh, if they don't hit Keuchel, they're in trouble. And could be a case where if Keuchel has a good outing against them, that makes them uh, even more confused about how they're going to turn this thing around. So they're, they're kind of, uh, I think, looking at each other, you know, Spider-Man meme style saying like, oh, this is, uh, you know, we're exposing each other with you know, how pitiful our offenses are. So this is a good case for AJ. Pollock to find his timing. This is also like it'd be a nice case if Juan Makada came back because I think you know his left-handed bat against a couple of tough righties would be useful. So mm-hmm. actually, let me check the Charlotte Knights lineup
1: just to see. I, did you check it I, I did not, but I thought the expectation from Tony La Russa was that Mankata would be joining the team in Chicago against Cleveland.
2: It's Possible, but sometimes you know, plans change if he feels good. So let me just see. Um, yeah, I figured, yeah, not I in, the lineup. Cleveland. Not, not in the lineup tonight, but I, I think you know, maybe if you Moncada were coming back, Danny Mendick wouldn't have come back. So I didn't think, uh, you know, you know, Moncada would be back immediately. But should he feel good, this would be a nice case to maybe get him a jump in the situation
1: just because well, these righties are tough, but I just because they. Called up Danny Mendick doesn't mean that Danny jumped on a plane from Charlotte is is in Boston right now. He could still be sitting in limbo, like the White Sox are going to say, "Hey, we're calling you up," quote unquote. However, we don't need you in Boston. Please give your ticket to Johan Marcato. <laughs> I don't. I don't think the TSA allows that. <laughs> Oh man, I don't even know how Yoan Mercado could look like Danny Mendek. They (laughs) very different styles between them two. But you mentioned as far as the different streams over the weekend. This is going to be my first Apple TV experience watching the White Sox. The previous one was a home game for the White Sox, so I was in the stands. So help me, Jim. How should I be prepared for the Friday night? apple tv broadcast because i've been told it's very different than a standard broadcast
2: well from what i saw um yeah that was a game where i had to watch it uh i had to backfill it because i was late Joining the game, um, and because when you have a kid and they have set bath times and such, like I'm used to watching a game on my phone and then watching a game on a laptop and then switching to the TV later as I you know, as the kid moves to various rooms. Uh, but with Apple TV, could not watch it on my phone. So like that's a case where okay, like I'm just. Uh, you know screw you major league baseball i'm not giving in just i'm not going out of my way to accommodate you you should be accommodating me so uh, i i you know wait until the sixth inning and join the game and then you know, watch the, the the first six innings uh, speed style but it's cleaner look that's one thing i like is the graphics are less intensive less invasive on the screen so it's very much puts the action forward visually but i think uh auto you know when it comes to audio when it comes to the the soundtrack it's different because it is kind of more casual more of a a hangout style and i saw like a lot of fans being annoyed by it because you know it's similar to sunday night baseball a little bit in which it's kind of like a talk show over a game and if you want to hear uh you know a national broadcast really rave about each and every person who's coming up at the time they're coming up or um you know if it's a rookie who's just making his debut, and, and you know, you want ESPN to get your uh, you know, rest of the country interested in your guys, they might fail you at any time depending on what they're talking about. And I think Apple TV is kind of going for the same thing, in which it's just a weekly thing, they have a lot of different people uh, in the uh, you know, in the mix, a lot of different voices coming in and out, so it can get sidetracked. And I think uh, you know, some fans did not take kindly to that, uh, but I think it's worth you know, when it comes to national broadcasts, and I think, you know, these uh, different streaming platforms, like I don't mind them taking chances because if you, you know, if you're Apple TV, if you're Peacock and you really don't have a legacy brand like ESPN does with uh, Sunday Night Baseball where people expect certain things, mm-hmm. it's worth taking shots. You know, it, I, I don't mind, uh, you know, like the All-Star game when they mic players up on the field and they have different goofy things going on and some players uh, do better than others in terms of making their inning interesting. Like I, I appreciate those shots because I think some broadcasts can get stale. So it's kind of like, you know, it reminds me of the XFL a little bit, the, the original one and how, you know, it was short-lived didn't really, uh, do much in terms of making impact football wise, but it did change a lot of ways Fox and, 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 uh, ESPN and such broadcast their games with different cameras and different, uh, you know, just visual, uh, you know, cues to, to, uh, give fans different looks. So I'm all for these random streaming services, trying stuff out. I just hope that by next year, I would hope that they pare it down a little bit and only have one streaming partner to make it exclusive because I think it's ridiculous. Yeah, and you're shaking your head. No, but my hope is that like, you know, maybe these streaming platforms don't see enough of a, you know, incentive to keep this going. And one, one partner settles it.
1: We're gonna start our own streaming platform at Sox Machine Gym, and we're gonna buy three games during the season, and we're gonna charge fifty dollars per person to watch those three games. Well, we're kind of doing that. That's a we can tout uh we we will we'll get to that in a second. We're not charging fifty (laughs) dollars per person, we're not doing pay-per-view, but why not? We should exactly why not buy the rights of three games, random. Thursday, one o'clock games and make it pay-per-view and help our cash flow. Uh, We did get this comment from one of our fans, mailman Jack in the YouTube stream. Uh, he mentioned anything is better than a rod. Uh, Jim, have you watched that ESPN Sunday night broadcast? The Alex Rodriguez show? I have not. Neither have I. So there you okay. go. That's a review. I feel like I, I, I should to watch.
2: Cause I haven't, you know, it's a case where I haven't seen, a lot of criticism for it. Like, I think it would be something where you'd see baseball Twitter hate watching it a little bit for, you know, kind of uh, cheap retweets for, for good jokes, but I haven't really seen much about it either way. So I don't know if it's just, you know, unremarkable or if it's actually good enough to where people don't want to make fun of it, but also it's A-Rod, so they don't want to talk it up. So it's probably worth, you know, given that I haven't seen a lot to inform my opinion, like while I don't have any kind of preconceived notions, I may as well, you know, maybe this Sunday, drop in on it and see what it's
1: actually doing. Sure. It's uh Cubs Dodgers for Sunday night baseball, uh, this upcoming broadcast. So we get to watch the Dodgers crush the Chicago Cubs uh, on Sunday night baseball. And we could watch Alex Rodriguez with the, uh, what? it's it's with Michael K right from yeah. New York. Yeah. It's a case where you know, Michael K doesn't have a lot
2: of national appeal either to where, yeah, I, I listened to him a lot, you know, when I lived in New York and just watch a lot of Na- Yankees games by osmosis and I don't mind Michael K, but he's also yeah he's 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 a New York guy like he you know he's a New York voice he's you know associated with the Yankees like there's nothing really like Jason Bonetti uh you know as he gets these national games uh you know whether it's NBC whether it's the the Nerdcast games and ESPN too like he's got a national voice like he's not a Chicago voice he's a national voice that you know I think you know objective baseball fans, third-party baseball fans consider Chicago fans lucky to have. Mm-hmm. Michael K is not, like, if Jason Benetti hosted that uh, kind of format, I could see it maybe working, having more appeal, but Michael K and, and A-Rod uh, does not have that kind of thing where fans are going to come in saying, what's this all about? They're going to come in saying, like, oh, this is going to suck.
1: Yeah, I mean, MLB Network experimented with a format like this last year in which, Friend of the show, Stephen Nelson, hosted it with three ex-major leaguers. And they were just sitting in a chair like if you were sitting in someone's living room. And they were just chatting about the game. I, I thought that was pretty interesting as far as a format. It lets ex-players be more relaxed in that setting and be a little bit more open about what they are watching and the game of baseball, especially and how it's being played today or certain circumstances because when you do a national broadcast and you get the lights in your face and you're soon tied, you know, millions mm-hmm. watching you, you, you could feel really pressed to make sure you're saying the right thing. I enjoy the hell out of the Manning cast, but I, I think to your point, Jim, no one's saying anything ill about the A-Rod show. I don't think anyone's watching yeah. the A-Rod show right now. So maybe that's our homework assignment over the weekend. Everyone take a moment. Watch a couple innings of the Alex Rodriguez Sunday Night Baseball show, and we'll report back on how we feel about it because the White Sox and New York Yankees will be playing on Sunday Night Baseball very soon, and maybe it'll be a deciding factor for you on how you are enjoying that particular Sunday Night broadcast. And that is a great segue for an announcement that we have. So If you listen to the White Sox wake-up call in the podcast feed or you visited SoxMachine.com in the morning and you read the announcement, uh, we have agreed to a new uh, contract extension with Blue Wire Podcasts, which is great for us. It opens up more doors financially for us and helps support us. So for all those that watch Sox Machine Live on YouTube, for all those that listen to the podcast, either daily or weekly, thank you guys so much for your continued support It goes a long, long way. And through Blue Wire, we got introduced to a new company called Playback. And what Playback is, is this new platform in which they're gonna take a stream and they're gonna overlay it with content creators being the commentators for that stream. So if you watch anything on Twitch, or if you have kids that watch videos on Twitch, it's usually watching people play video games, For example, when Lucas Giolito is playing MLB The Show, you're watching the game feed of Lucas Giolito, but Lucas Giolito is still on your screen so you can see his live reactions on what's happening in the game. Playback is very similar. So they're going to provide the White Sox stream And we at Sox Machine, Jim and I, are going to be hosting watch parties through Playback. So we're going to be there. We're going to be talking through the game. There's a comment section, very much just like streaming on YouTube uh, during Sox Machine Live, that everybody will be able to jump in. And we could have our own little virtual watch party, as I bring up an example on uh, the YouTube live stream of what the stream looks like and it is as far it's HD so you don't have to worry about as far as any stream quality and our upcoming schedule as we partner with our friends from the 108 Therese and Beef Loaf, very interesting characters I do love their baseball insight but they make things really fun Uh, And they can make things a little chaotic as well, which is great when you're doing a three hour plus broadcast. So they're going to be joining us in our upcoming schedule for our first playbacks is going to be Tuesday, May 10th at 7 p.m. That is the Cleveland Guardians at the White Sox, May 17th. This is game two of the doubleheader in Kansas City as the White Sox will be visiting the Royals. And Sunday Night Baseball, May 22nd, between the White Sox and Yankees. So if you do not like the national broadcast, if you do not like watching Alex Rodriguez, you could watch us be hosting the virtual watch party on playback instead and engaging with us during the game. We're really excited about this new platform and trying it out, and we're very grateful that our friends from the 108 will be joining us. So Jim... Next week, man, next Tuesday, we're hosting our first virtual watch party. What is something that we should have in the rundown? Because, again, three hours is a a long time.
2: Well, I'm curious, like, you know, as we uh, partner with this and and, and have four people watching from four different rooms, like, I'm curious if there's going to be any kind of delay or if anybody's going to have, like, a lead time of, like, five seconds is going to look really smart, uh because uh you know maybe a couple of us are behind like that could be fascinating like i'm seeing if anybody has leaks i'm used to like on mlb uh tv like having the 30 second delay and mm. there was the when the white socks are coming back six nothing uh against the angels and i didn't know how that thing was going to turn out i had to turn off twitter i had to turn off my like turn my phone upside down <laughs> because like if this going to happen i want to see it happen you know and, and and you know you know i learned gavin cheats grounded out before it happened be like that oh, sucked. I, I I liked having a 20 seconds of anticipation thinking it could happen. Yeah. So uh, a, as we uh, get used to this technology, I'm going to be curious, like what kind of delay, uh, if there is any delay. And
1: if one of us is going to look super smart and not tell anybody. <laughs> well, we'll see. Again, this is new technology for us. So there, there might be some bumps in the road as we get used to it. But we hope everybody does sign up. You do have to sign up at getplayback.com. There, when you do sign up and you make an account, you need to verify as far as your TV cable subscription or if you have a streaming package to ensure that you do have a package to watch the White Sox games on NBC Sports Chicago or even on MLB TV. Or, of course, if you do have ESPN, once you do that, you'll be able to come into our virtual room. We have a bunch of people already signed up uh, to be part of the playback room. So, again, we'll be promoting this all over the weekend. Uh, And you can sign up at getplayback.com and uh, we'll provide the direct link to our room all weekend. So you can save that in your favorites and, of course, promote it on Tuesday night as far as our first watch party as the White Sox host the Cleveland Guardians. But that will do it for this episode of Sox Machine Live. Thank you guys so much for watching. You can follow us on Twitter. We are at socks Machine. And for those that do watch the YouTube stream, if you just came across this stream for the first time, or for those that are listening to the podcast feed, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com/slash socksmachine. If you don't get an opportunity to watch the live stream, no worries. The audio from the live streams are uploaded into the podcast feed, which you can subscribe to the Socks Machine Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're new to Socks Machine or have been a longtime lurker of Socks Machine, think about helping support us at Patreon.com. patreoncom machine, where we have several different tiers of support, and our Patreon supporters get exclusive content, they get ad-free versions of the podcast and website, and when we have new Socks Machine swag, they're the first ones to get it. We have monthly plans starting at two dollars a month, and you can save with an annual subscription. Again, the URL is Patreon.com/SocksMachine. Sox Machine Live is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for watching and listening.